How do you cope when food becomes the centerpiece of a celebration? There is no holiday that centers on food more than Thanksgiving. Not Easter, not Christmas, not Hanukkah or Kwanzaa. Why is that? Well, think about it. What are we supposed to be celebrating on Thanksgiving? Originally, it was about how the Native Americans and pilgrims ate together. They shared corn and fish and fowl and porridge. But with a more modern mindset, some don't quite celebrate the history of this holiday, so all we have left is being thankful and eating. Most people can get behind that. In this episode, we revisit Season 2, Episode 6, which features the food traditions of many of my interview guests. Some of them share their simple recipes, and others recall other food memories of something they find somewhat revolting. We end by talking to a food entrepreneur who opened a new restaurant highlighting his Korean grandmother's favorite foods. My mother taught me how to make spaghetti with bacon. Did you ever hear of that? No. So good. Clip up bacon, Mm -hmm. however much you think you need, and fry it. Have your spaghetti boiling, and according to how much grease you have, put the whole thing in if it's not too much, if your bacon's fairly lean. Mm -hmm. Put the whole thing in your spaghetti and then add tomatoes, canned tomatoes, tomato juice, whatever you like in spaghetti. You don't put a sauce on top. I didn't know there was that kind of spaghetti till I got married. Mom always made spaghetti with bacon and it was in one dish. My mother's side of the family had some Scandinavian history, and there was a coffee bread, a cardamom-flavored braided coffee bread that we made every year for Christmas and only for Christmas. And that bread and the flavor of cardamom was so deeply meaningful to me. And to this to this day, if I taste something with cardamom in it, there's there's some little spark in me that kind of ignites and just it's an instant link to very bright memories and a sense of expectation and family togetherness and celebration. It's just It does what I think all the best food traditions do, which is it just builds on itself over time. My grandparents were born in Finland. They lived in Minnesota, and there's a lot of Scandinavian folks up there, and their favorite for Christmas Eve dinner was lutefisk, fish that's been preserved in lye. And so my mom would make lutefisk for my dad and my grandparents, and she made baked ham for everybody who didn't want the lutefisk. Have you tasted it? I haven't because I trusted my mom when she said it doesn't taste good. <laughs> In my house, we don't do that. And I don't even know if my mom makes it anymore for my dad. On my husband's side of the family, his dad was Norwegian, and they make lefse, which is similar to tortillas, but it's made out of potato and flour. And then you cook them on a very hot grill. And the tradition is you put butter and brown sugar on it and roll it up. And the kids love that. My brother-in-law likes to put turkey and cranberry in it and make like a little crepe sandwich looking thing. And then for my kids, they would probably say Buckeyes, which are candy, kind of tastes like Reese's peanut butter cups. 
It's butter, sugar, peanut butter, and then you make them into round balls and chill them and then dip them in chocolate. Yeah, they sell them at Cracker Barrel. (laughs) I might have to try that and be easier. My grandmother, we called her Nana, was a wonderful cook. The thing that we remember the most was the homemade spaghetti sauce from scratch she would make, vast quantities of it. (laughs) Then my dad picked up and started the same recipe, and then he passed it on to me. And so I passed that on to our kids, and it is three generations of homemade spaghetti sauce. It's tomato sauce, and it's onions, and it's garlic. Don't you think it's the ground beef and the pork? Well, a lot of pork and ground beef, but it's the way we do it, the saute. I think it's really no different than anybody else's spaghetti sauce. I'm going to be really honest, but it was my (laughs) grandmother's spaghetti sauce. And we make vast quantities and put it in bags and freeze it. And we, it's, it's just a great memory. My grandparents were Southern and they lived in Georgia. And I just basically remember their fried chicken, her fried chicken as being quite phenomenal. I don't know if it really was or not, but it sure seemed like it at the time. I'm a farmer. It's been really important for me to pass along the traditions of seed to table, you know, planting to to consuming, because Henry's a city boy and he's going to know what it's like. We're not raising beef cattle, but, you know, he, he still gets the idea. And he and I cook together a lot. We bake together, and we, we cook, and we prepare, and we share, and it's not so much an individual food as a mindset that food is important, and being a chiropractor, food can be medicine, and, you know, it's, it's giving of health, and here are the medicinals, and here are the different uses and needs for food. That'll be a tradition that he'll have for the rest of his life. One of the unusual foods, uh, I think, that uh, was passed on by my grandfather, uh, especially for holidays, Thanksgiving and Christmas, was rutabagas. They call it yellow squash. If you go to the grocery store, it's either rutabagas or yellow squash. squash. But it's a very distinctive flavor. The way he cooked them was uh, he would first put them in a uh, pressure cooker, cook them for quite a while, then drain all the water out, put them in another container, fill it up with water, and boil them again. So they were, in fact, boiled twice and then puts in butter, sugar, and salt, mash them up in milk. So they're like mashed potatoes, but they're rutabagas. It's actually, a, I guess, a way of getting a lot of butter, sugar, and salt into your diet. It's just put it, with, put it in the rutabagas. And no matter how long you cook them, you can't hurt them. <laughs> they're virtually indestructible, so they're a nice thing to have for holidays because you don't have to worry about cooking time. Back in the 50s, you know, everybody made stuff out of Jello. Uh, this was Jello and cheese and Cool Whip or whipping cream, pineapple. It sounds terrible. Pimentos. Anyway, my mother always used to make it, and my one of my uncles, my Uncle Bill, used to say, I want some more of that junk. It's more like eating dessert, because it was so sweet. And so it became known as Uncle Bill's junk. J-U-N-Q-U-E, junk. So it's very high-class jello junk. <laughs> <laughs> my grandpa loved to grill out, and I and we would he had this big grill in his backyard, and I feel like every time we went to grill out, which was often, there would be a summer rain come through. So whenever I smell... Burgers, I always think of the smell of rain in my grandparents' backyard. Uh, and just that, that feeling of cooking out is, it brings me back to my grandparents. My grandma always had these cookies in a jar 
that she bought. They were like archway cookies or something that she bought from the grocery store. And I still remember the smell when you crack open the container that she, she had a Tupperware container she kept the cookies in. And that smell, it just, it, it, the, the whole kitchen smelled like those cookies. So grandmas are kind of like cookies, um, super sweet and calming. My grandfather and I used to share ice cream all the time. He used to get vanilla ice cream out, get two spoons, and we'd each just scrape it off the top of the ice cream container, which was so engaging and fun. And he would, you know, play with me during that time. And it was just a very special moment for me. I really felt loved in that moment. Um, the other one is my grandmother made German rye bread. And... Um, I, it's a family tradition, and I still cook it on every holiday, so uh, it just brings back a lot of memories, and we all love German rye bread, even though not everybody might appreciate the taste, it's tradition. I would say my memory is milk toast. Whenever I was a kid and I was sick, my grandfather would you know, be called in to, to babysit while I was sick so the parents could still go to work. I found it disgusting, yet comforting at the same time. You know, the toasty bread that slowly got hot and soggy. So it's just kind of a memory that is, I feel loved, but do I have to eat this? Hearing those food memories makes me realize that what I am doing now in my kitchen will be passed on to our grands. It doesn't necessarily have to be something homemade, but it will be something and so in today's The Stretch It Takes, I look back on my own food traditions and then forward to how my grands will carry those memories with them. It's sometimes a stretch to prepare a meal for other people, but I think it's worth the effort. So let's go to the mat and consider what we are doing to pass on our traditions to our children and their children. On a recent visit to our house, my granddaughter opened our front door, took a deep breath, and ran straight into the kitchen. She placed her nose just inches away from the hot, out-of-the-oven 13-by-9 pan and said, Pita! I love pita! I could eat the whole pan of pita all by myself. Now, for many of you, the word pita means pita bread, defined as a family of yeast-leavened round flatbreads baked from wheat flour and common in the Mediterranean or the Middle East. Maybe you dip it in hummus or fill it with grilled meat and veggies. For our family, pita is short for teropita, a Greek pastry made with layers of buttered phyllo and filled with a cheese-egg mixture. Many times it is served in the shape of a triangle or a pie shape. When my grandmother came over from Greece as a young child, I'm pretty sure that's how it was presented. But as time would have it, traditions morph, and so the triangles have become squares cut from a rectangular pan, and the name shortened to pita. No matter the name or the shape, to our family, it has always just meant delicious. When I prepare that recipe for our grands, I know that their taste buds have been groomed to enjoy it. They have eaten it as young children, warm from the oven or cold on family picnics. They love the taste of the feta cheese, and the pungent smell of it doesn't seem to bother them. That's the way things are with food. Smells become memories. Think of your own memories related to food. The cooking smell of bread, cookies, onions and veggies, special soups, all of them elicit very specific memories. Just Google sense of smell, and this is what you learn. Of all the senses, the sense of smell is the most important trigger of memory. One reason is that the olfactory system 
is located in the same part of our brain that affects emotions, memory, and creativity. And so we can be in the grip of a food memory at any moment, walking down a crowded street, entering someone's home, getting seated in a restaurant. All of these things can evoke memories of food. When I smell roasted chestnuts, I'm immediately transported to two different places at once. The streets of New York City, and then Disney World, where for one Christmas we met as a family and were greeted by roasting chestnuts at the entrance to the Grand Floridian. Both the cold of New York City and the Florida warmth combine in my memories to create a sense of complete enchantment. What are the food smells that make you think of your grandparents? For me, it was pita, or avgolomono soup, or something my great-grandmother called chop suey, which is hilarious because that name is generally associated with an Asian-American dish of cooked vegetables and meat with a sauce poured over the rice. But for us, it became a dish of ground beef, diced tomatoes, and elbow macaroni, a far cry from the original. But if you make it, you get to name it. In our family, avgolomono soup, which is a Greek egg, lemon, and orzo soup, has become soapsud soup because the whipped egg whites look like soapsuds floating on the surface. We always called the boxed Lipton chicken noodle soup gusva, which stands for green stuff floating around. We call a specific kind of chocolate cake chocolate mistake cake because my husband's mother accidentally made a frosting that hardened on the cake too quickly and the frosting became more like a chocolate bar on top. So yummy. We can't be the only family who has these crazy traditions. I would love to hear yours. If you have any that you would like to share, feel free to post on our Facebook page, The Grand Life, call in a memory at 317-572-7876, or email me at grandlifeconnection at gmail.com. I have to say that each time I prepare one of our grandparents' recipes, I think of the great cooking legacy that each of them has left. After scrambling hamburger in an iron skillet, my grandfather used to scrape the crumbles out with a piece of bread and hand it to me. I don't do that often now, but I do think of Grandpa every time I scramble a hamburger. And every time we sit down to a holiday meal, we enjoy Grandmother's yeast rolls. I love that as we split open a roll to add honey or butter, we often exclaim that Grandmother's recipe is the best. Once again, her memory is evoked, and we not only enjoy her rolls, but also by remembering we enjoy her company with each and every glorious bite. I recognize that not all grandparents are foodies. Some order takeout when grands are around. Some have meals catered or treat their grands to a night out at a restaurant. I have fond memories of the first trip to McDonald's with my family and my grandparents. That memory often crops up for me, even now, when I'm standing in line to order fries. Whatever food you share with your grands will be what they associate with you. So bring on the pizza, or the pho, or the sushi, or the donuts. You can decide what memories you want your grands to connect to you. It might even be a special restaurant in your hometown, like the one I visited for the Grand Life. I talked with Jong Kim. I am a owner of Korave. That's Korave with a K. His grandmother, who he referred to as Hi Moni, 
is part of his inspiration for the food he serves there. We are serving Korean barbecue with some, some of Tumis, Mexican and Canadian. We have poutine, which is loaded French fries. And also we do like nachos with Korean barbecue. And also we have taco as well. We met at a new kind of food court that goes by the name of The Test Kitchen. Test Kitchen basically the tests our concept. There are three different concept kitchens represented. Jong's Korean Fast Casual Barbecue, called Korave, a comfort food menu that goes by the name Natural State Provisions, and Little Dumplings, which serves street food from all around the world. Since we're talking about grandparenting, uh-huh. um, one of the things I'm curious about is how any of these recipes that you're serving, in fact, I have something right here in front of me. It's a chicken and rice bowl. Right, chicken, rice, and some fresh vegetables. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and they're raw, right? So you've got right. the raw vegetables right. in with the rice and the hot chicken. Uh-huh. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. You said you maybe your grandmother used to yeah, make this? Yeah, my, my grandmother used to make this. I mean, a lot of Koreans like to make this. We mm-hmm. are, this chicken dish called jim mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of reduced with soy sauce you know, mm-hmm. water with the uh, uh, chicken. Yeah. Kind of long time, mm-hmm. and then it, it will absorb all the flavors, and it became tender, you know. Yeah, that's what makes that chick- chicken so tender. Right. Right. Yeah, so good. And I love the sesame oh, seeds you. on top. Tell me a little bit about your grandparents or your background. Uh, my grandfather was a teacher, mm-hmm. and my grandmother was just house mom. And my brother and I grew up with uh, our grandparents, and we used to eat my grandma's food all the time, more than my mom made, you know? Yeah. Did they live with you? Yes. Oh, so uh, they when, lived with you? Yeah, when we were young. Uh-huh. Yeah. What did you call them? Grandma or Grandpa? Or what do you call them? Uh, what are their names? Grandma for Harmony, which is Grandma, and Harabaji, which is Grandfather. Okay. Yeah. And you were living where that, that time? Oh, uh, that time. Back then, it was in Korea. And in Korea. I moved here in 2009. Okay. So it's been about a little more than 10 years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And was your mom working? Was she a working woman? Yes. She, so your grandma was home. Right. Okay. So basically, babysit- yeah. uh, she did babysitter, you know? Yeah. Uh-huh. Babysit for us, you know. So of course she would be doing much of the cooking. Oh yes, yeah. yes. I, so I miss my grandma's food, you know. I talked to Zhang about his memories of his grandmother and her cooking. Every time, like every day, when I when I try to I mean, when I eat Korean food, uh-huh. it always reminds of me uh, my you know grandparents, even you know my mom, you know. Yeah. Yeah, especially soy sauce. Soy so sauce funny. makes everything good, but especially when I smell it, uh-huh. yeah, I can actually you know feel like the warm feeling of my grandparents. Do you have a, a favorite recipe or one of the recipes? In, is it written in your grandmother's hand? Oh, so it, it's in my head. It's all in your yeah. head. And then Jong proceeded to give me the recipe for the chicken and rice bowl that was sitting right in front of me. I can say like four pounds of um, chicken thigh or chicken. Uh, breast, white meat, uh-huh. and then ha- uh, about one-fourth of a cup uh, soy sauce, uh-huh. and about half cup of uh, white sugar, and about one ounce of ginger, one ounce of garlic, um, and one te- teaspoon of sesame oil, just mix all together, mm-hmm. and then just let it sit like six hours uh, in the fridge, Yeah. you know? Well, and then, for, you mean you sit that in the fridge before you cook it? Right. So, okay. Uh, uh, Interesting. If I put the sauce in the uh, the fridge longer, the garlic 
and the strong uh, the onion and ginger, uh -huh. the flavor will kind of cuts down and then it became kind of mild and oh, it's pretty okay. nice. So yeah. you're marinating it. Right. Yeah. But yeah. And then we just mix it all together and then sear it in the pan, mm -hmm. you know, and then put some water and then kind of reduce down. Okay. Yeah. Good. That's a reduction. And then you do the, the rice underneath and you're using what kind of rice? Uh, we can do like purple rice has just little, just color different. It's purple and has more nutrients in it. Oh, yeah. interesting. But you could also use brown or white rice, oh, correct? Oh, yes. Of course, white rice. Yeah. It's like sushi rice, Korean. Right, it's so sticky. Yeah, it's sticky rice, right. I can say. Yeah, yeah. Short yeah. grain. Short grain. Uh -huh. And then I'm curious because you also serve this, what I'm having right now, this chicken bowl, you also serve this with noodles if you prefer. Right. And for so, a little extra cost. And, and what are those kinds of noodles? So this is really, I can say, healthy noodle. Uh, made out of sweet potato starch and all. Wow. Yeah, everything is really healthy, I can say. So no matter if your food traditions are as healthy as a chicken rice bowl or as crazy fun as a late-night Krispy Kreme donut run, you get to choose the memories you imprint on your grands. Have fun and enjoy each bite and each grandchild you get to share it with. This episode was one that confirmed to me that your role as a grandparent is not tied to how good of a cook you are. Clearly, you can make good memories with your grands by buying them fries and a Coke at McDonald's. So whatever you do, do with intention and make it fun. Your grands will remember it and cherish the time you spent together. As the holidays approach, remember to consider how your adult children will process the things you choose to do. Dee Dee from More Than Grand has provided a free resource for you on her website. There's a link in the show notes for you to receive a free Grandparents Guide to the Holidays. It's a fantastic checklist of some well-advised do's and don'ts as you head into the holiday season. And don't forget to join us for the next episode where Mike and I chat about our own food memories and how to handle grands whose tastes are more narrow than yours. In the stretch it takes, I ruminate on how our family has combined food traditions from both sides. If you have anything you'd like to add about your own food traditions, please email me at grandlifeconnection at gmail.com or call and leave a voicemail at 317-572-7876. And don't forget to rate, review, or rave about our podcast to your friends and relatives. Wherever you go to listen to these episodes as they come to you, the podcast app on your phone, the websites of Facebook or Spotify, you can typically rate and review the podcast right there. Finally, I was recently a guest on the Adventures with Grammy podcast. Make sure you listen to Carolyn Berry's work when you have a chance. It was a privilege to talk to her about our podcast adventure, and she will join us sometime in February to talk about her own adventures. I'm Emily Morgan, and thanks for joining me in living the grand life.